Last week, uh, we started this brief series called The Hardest Things to Give to God. And I'm sorry, I feel like I need to apologize that I, get, I didn't give you any batting practice. And what I mean by that is I didn't give you any warm-ups. I mean, I think probably that message is going to be the most challenging of all the messages in the series. And you say, whew, thank the Lord for that, amen. I mean, that was pretty deep waters for us to start out with. If you weren't here, we talked about giving God our secret sins. Very big struggle for all of us. This time, we may not be talking about the hardest of the hard, but we are going to talk about a very challenging aspect of our lives. I want to talk to you about the fact that many times it's hard to give God our relationships. We're going to talk about relationships tonight. And really, I want to do this in kind of three categories. I'm going to kind of group them into several categories that I think describe some of the main areas of struggle that we have with relationships. First of all, we're going to talk about I struggle when I don't have one. I struggle when I can't change one. Or I struggle when I'm in the wrong one. Amen. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about one of the hardest things to give to God are my relationships. Okay, so let me go back over that again. I struggle when I don't have one. I struggle when I can't change one. Or I struggle when I'm in the wrong one. So let's start out by that first one tonight. It's hard to give the Lord my relationships, first of all, when I don't have one. Now, what do we mean by that? What we're saying is, Sometimes in our lives, there's some relationship that we desire, that we would like to have, but for some reason, we can't have that relationship. Isn't that a struggle? How many of us have ever been in a situation in our lives when you wanted to have some kind of relationship with someone else, but for whatever reason, that was not happening? Let me give you some specific examples. I mean, I think about a single person who says, you know what, I'm single, but I don't want to be. I'm single, but I want to get married, and that's just not working out. I think about someone who's lost a loved one. Maybe you had a relationship at one point in your life, but for whatever reason, you've lost that relationship. Maybe you lost a parent through death. Maybe now you can't be with that person. You can't see that person anymore. Maybe through adoption. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, I was adopted. And I feel like, you know, I wish I could have that relationship with my birth parents, but, but I can't have that. And I struggle with that, God. I struggle with giving that to you. Maybe you lost your spouse through divorce. Or maybe you're a widow. You lost your spouse through death. And you say, God, you know what? I want to give you every area of my life, but this one, I got to be honest with you, Lord, this is one of the hardest for me to deal with and for me to give over to you. There are some people in this room, maybe you've lost a child. Maybe it was through a miscarriage, or maybe it was uh, through circumstances you had to give up your baby for adoption, or you made that choice to allow your baby to be adopted, or maybe it was even through abortion. And you would say here tonight, you know what, there is a relationship that I wish that I could have, but there's just no way for me to have that, and I struggle with that. Tonight, I want to give you some words that I believe the Lord would want me to share with you. First of all, write these things down. You need to let, if that's you tonight, You say, one of the hardest things in my life is giving that over to God. First of all, I would say to you, let the Lord comfort you. Jesus told us that in this world, that's where we're looking at in John 16, verse 33. 
He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. What is he implying? He's implying that we're not going to have peace, right? He said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you can have peace, a settledness in your soul, which we don't find on our own. He says, because in this world you are going to have difficult times. You are going to have tribulations. You are going to face struggles. Write down 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. In that passage, uh, really, if you are going through hard times in your life, 1 Peter is a great book to read. But in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. The Bible says that God has said to us, we are going to face difficult things in our lives. But I want you to understand, he's not saying, so grow up, get over it. What's the big deal? Did you know that's the impression that many people have about God? And maybe that's because you had a parent in your life, or maybe you had some authority figure that that sort of acted that way about some feelings that you had, but that is not what God is saying. In fact, in in the very same book where he talks about the reality, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, right after that, he says these words. He says, yes, you're going to have difficult times, but in verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, but I want you to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that good news? You are going to have difficult times, but let the Lord comfort you in that difficulty. And if you want a picture of how much God cares for us, write down John chapter 11, verse 35. As far as I know, that is the shortest verse in the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus wept. Like Pastor Robbie, I've never heard anybody quote that in a sermon. What are you going to get out of that, okay? Well, here's what I get out of that. If you read John chapter 11, you're going to find out that when Jesus went to the tomb of a man that he knew that had died, actually a friend of his, that the Bible actually says that Jesus Christ, God himself, who was walking on this earth, he cried about the situation. And there are people that say, well, why did he do that? Was it because he was depressed or, you know, he was sad that his friend had died? Well, we're talking about God here. And he could resurrect him, right? Which he does pretty soon after this. Okay? So he wasn't crying because the situation was beyond his control. The Bible says that he saw the, 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 the family there. He saw the friends there. He saw how their lives were hurt by this death. And I believe what John 11 verse 35 is about is that God saw he was going to take care of the situation. He was going to raise the guy from the dead, okay? So it wasn't that he was crying because he was downtrodden or sad about, oh no, this is a terrible situation. The reason he was crying is because he saw how death had so terribly affected the people that love this person. When we go through difficulty in our lives, we need to be sure that God cares deeply for us. Did you know that? You need to let the Lord comfort you, but also... You need to let the Lord be your sufficiency. What does that mean? I want to be very careful not to minimize the pain that someone has been through. But I want to share something with you that hopefully is not an easy answer, but helps you to get some perspective on how God can comfort you. He wants you to know that even if you had that relationship with that person, you're sitting here tonight, you're saying, God, one of the hardest things in my life to accept is that I wanted this relationship, but for whatever reason, I can't have it. Even if you had that relationship, ultimately, 
that person could not be depended upon to meet all of your needs. Really, and you know what? This is not a bad thing for us to learn about the people who are in our lives. Because sometimes we have too high of an expectation of other people, don't we? Some, especially a spouse or maybe our kids sometimes. You know, what the Bible, you know what the Bible seems to indicate? Is that we don't really ultimately need anyone but the Lord. And when he uses, when he blesses me through your life, it's really God being good to me through you. Did you hear that? And so really what I need in my life is the Lord. That's the one I need. And so tonight when we begin to realize that, now again, that's not to minimize the pain. There's still the struggle. There's still the reality of, I wish I had this. And you know what? The Bible makes it very clear. We can come to the Lord with that, and he cares about us. But friend, tonight I do believe an aspect of this is, are you depending too much upon another person? Would you let the Lord be your sufficiency? Now, those are just some general thoughts about someone struggling with those situations. But I want to get specific for just a moment. Let's talk about that single person who wants to get married. Okay? Pastor Robbie, I want, I'm single, but I don't want to be. I've heard that from many people. Now, there are some people that are single and glad to be. And you know what? The Bible actually says there is something to be celebrated about singleness. Right now, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. The Apostle Paul said there was a point in his life Many people believe that uh, because of different factors that he was probably married at some point. Maybe his spouse passed away or whatever. But in 1 Corinthians 7, he kind of gives the impression that he's at a point in his life where he's single. And he says, you know what? That's not such a bad place to be. I'm summarizing. Okay, it's the Robbie Langford paraphrase. Okay, you can go back and read those verses. But the Apostle Paul said, it's not such a bad place to be in in your life to be single. In fact, I tell college students, go serve the Lord. I mean, get on a plane, go somewhere, serve God, get involved, do missions work, do ministry, serve the Lord, because this is some of the freest time in your life to see the world and to do things. And you know what? God has this way about when you're in the middle of doing things for Him, maybe He'll bring that person into your life. And and I want to share that with you, because... Maybe you are single here tonight. You say, oh, Pastor Robbie, I knew you were going to read 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. You say, you know, people say, oh, it's a blessing to be single, but I still don't want to be. Okay, right? Write down Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, now I want to be very careful here about not over-promising, but I do want to say this something to you. I cannot promise you that you will get married, that God is going to give you that relationship that, that you feel like that you want in your life. But here's what I would say. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. That should be my focus, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. As you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean God's going to give you anything that you want in your life. But it says that as I delight myself in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. That leads me to believe that as I'm walking with Jesus, as I'm getting closer to him, if I still have that desire to share my life with someone else, that I can trust more and more that God may be affirming that desire. Does that make sense? 
And it may very well be that God is going to give you that relationship. I would lean towards that if you continue to walk with him and you're checking your heart and making sure that it's focused on him and you still have that desire, I would lean towards he's probably going to fulfill that desire. Okay, let's talk about the person who lost a loved one. Or maybe you lost some sort of relationship that you want to realize that that is a very, very difficult situation. And, and by the way, in some ways I can relate. I've been through divorce. I mean, in terms of my family, my parents uh, were divorced when I was younger. Um, I've been through the death and loss of loved ones. And, and you know what? I can think right now, I can think about my granddad. I wish my granddad could be here to see my kids growing up. It's hard, isn't it? Okay, so how do we deal with that? Let me give you some things that I believe the Lord would say to us. First of all, with God's help, you can experience healing. You know, sometimes when we lose someone, we feel like, I will never get over this. Well, to some extent, we won't. I mean, in the sense of we've lost something, haven't we? We've lost someone. We've lost some experience of relationship. And we have to, we have to accept that. But the Bible does teach us that God can bring healing in our lives. Secondly, remember the promise of heaven. Hey, this is good news. I hope this encourages you. If we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to have more time together there than we did here. I can't wait to see my granddad. I loved him so much. He had such an impact on my life. Like I said, I want my kids and Shannon to meet him. And you know what? We're going to have plenty of time. We're going to have all of it. My dad was here last weekend. And he brought a bunch of old uh, 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 family reunion videos. I didn't even know anybody was taking videos. They weren't taking them of me because I wasn't in one of them. But anyway, we had, a bunch of, <laughs> we had a bunch of family reunion videos. And it was just cool to see. You know, we're going to have plenty of time to sit around and have those conversations and enjoy one another. I hope that encourages you tonight. I can't have what I used to have. But if we put our trust in Jesus, we're going to have a lot longer than we did. That's good news, isn't it? Thirdly, I'd say cherish the good memories. The good times. Focus on those good memories. The, the, the way that someone made that difference in your life. You see, God had a purpose and God had a plan. And that's really going to be the next one we're going to talk about. And just thank God that as a part of your life, he gave you that experience of knowing that person. And number four, trust in a big God. And what I mean by that is, write down Psalm 27, verse 10. Psalm 27, verse 10, it kind of speaks to the reality of that no one person can, can fulfill all of our needs. It says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Okay? Even when the closest people in your life let you down, or even when they leave you, the Bible says that God will not. He will protect you. And, and trust in his bigger plan. Write down Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 28. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And we know, we are confident, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who, who are called according to his purpose. This is the only question I have to ask myself. Do I love God, and am I called according to his purpose? Right? Do I love God, and am I called according to his purpose? If I love the Lord, and I'm called according to his purpose, somehow, some way, with the mess of this world, God is going to fix it in a way that is for my good and his glory. Isn't that awesome? See, friend, tonight, we're not just saying, hey, sweep it under the rug. It's not a big deal. 
Let the Lord comfort you tonight. He cares about that hurt. But you also should not grieve as the rest, the Bible says, as those without hope. We have hope tonight. So the first one that's a struggle is to trust God with a relationship that I want, but I can't have. But secondly, when I have a relationship that I can't change. If you have a relationship that you have to be in, but it's not what you want it to be. Let me give you some examples. And please, nobody raise your hand or shake your head on this one. It could be a spouse, because we've committed for life to that person. It could be a parent or a family member. Contrary to Macaulay Calkin, you can't divorce your parents, okay? I mean, you can legally say, I don't want to be around you guys anymore and identified with you, but you, you've got who you've got. Or what about a boss or a coworker? Now, it may come down to the, you know, you could quit. You could find another job. But for most people in this economy, that's not really the best option. So you might be stuck with somebody. You say, I just really, this is a very difficult situation. God, I'm having a heart. You know what, Lord? I love you. I'm involved in your work. I'm growing. But this one drives me nuts. I'm having a hard time with that one. What if I've got a relationship I can't change? Let's talk about the spouse one. Okay, write down a couple of passages. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33, and 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, in both of those passages, there is specific direction given to men or husbands, and there's specific direction given to women or wives. And I would encourage you to go back and read that. What I'm going to do, I believe those principles, though, could be helpful to both of us. So I'm going to give you some of the principles out of those passages. First of all, the Bible tells us that we should love unconditionally. In the context of marriage, God calls us to love unconditionally. Now, our way is, I'll love you, what? If, right? I'll love you if, and really, probably more specifically, I'll love you if you change blank, right? That's a condition. That is diametrically opposed to unconditional love. See, we have this way of saying, oh, I unconditionally love you, but I love you if. And somehow we can make that work. But that, they, they're mutually exclusive. That's not God's way. God's way is I love you, period. I love you. Unconditionally. Secondly, the Bible calls us to show respect. Maybe even should write this down, not repulsion. Okay, this is very important. When you're having trouble in your marriage, after a while you get bitter, don't you? It's personal. You get bitter, you get kind of ill about it, and you know what people do? Friends, I'm going to tell you, this makes me cringe when I see it. And if you ever see it in me, call me on it. Okay? Especially you guys out there. Spouses either overtly, clearly, directly, or in indirect, kind of uh, uh, subtle ways, begin to kind of expose their spouse and make them look dumb in front of other people. Especially, it's wrong in front of other people. The Bible says that we should show respect to our spouse. We should resist the urge to battle with them or to insult them, especially publicly. Very important. 
Number three, seek to be dead to self. You know, anytime you think about this, and I know how it is because I think about it too. When you think about be dead to self and serve the other person, okay? Because that's what we're talking about, being a servant. I'm going to be dead to self and I'm going to be a servant to the other person. Then automatically people say, well, Pastor Robbie, but if I think about their needs and they're not thinking about my needs, then who's going to meet my needs, right? That's the way we think about it. That's risky, isn't it? I'm going to put it all on the line. What are they going to do? Right? Isn't that the way we feel about it? Remember what we said earlier? You've got to trust God to meet your needs, not your spouse. And when you begin to do that, it's not conditional anymore. It releases you and I to be a servant without conditions. It's not, I will love you, I will do this, I will respect you, I will help you, I will be a partner to you if... That's what we do, isn't it? It's no, I love you, I respect you, I will honor you, I will help you, I will partner with you, period. And I know, you're talking back to me. I know you are, because I'm talking back to me too. I'm just trying to represent the Lord's word here. Let me just say this to you. You married that person for a reason, didn't you? He must have some pretty good qualities. She must be pretty impressive. I mean, of all the people in the world you've ever been around, you chose to spend your life with that one. So give them some credit. They listen to God. They've got some sense. God can work in their heart. Amen? Number four, influence more by your life than your words. 1 Peter 3, it specifically is talking to the wife there. But, but again, I believe, it's like somebody said, I can't hear your words because your life is screaming too loud. I'm still learning myself after almost 18 years <laughs> next spring. <laughs> I'm still learning myself. But, I'm starting to believe that much of what God wants to correct in our spouse is not really our business. We should just live for the Lord in front of each other and let God do that work. Number five, work hard to put yourselves in their shoes. Listen, I'm not just giving you just stuff here. This is important. In fact, this is a principle that helps in all relationships. Work really hard to put yourself in somebody. He said, I don't have to put myself in her shoes. I don't have to put myself in his shoes. I know what they're doing. They're a slacker. They're not doing their part. I'm waiting for somebody to put themselves in my shoes. Okay, well, let me just ask you a question. How's that approach been working for you so far? <laughs> and by the way, this is what I started doing with couples. Okay, somebody gave me this idea. It's a great idea. And I'm using, I'll use it on you if you come to my office, okay? <clears throat> After this message, if you come to my office with marriage problems, and if you do have struggles, we want to help you. But I will probably say, did you listen to this message? Not did you read those notes. 
but did you practice those principles? You say, no, but. Okay, well, you know what that's like? That's like going to the doctor and they give you medicine, you don't take your prescription. And then you go back still sick. And they say, but did you take the medicine? Well, no, but. Well, I can't help you until you do what? Take the medicine. All right? So take these things seriously, because if you come, I'm going to say, take your prescription. All right. That's a, that's a spouse. What about a child? It's very difficult when you have a situation with your kids, right? You love your kids. Parent, as parents, we have so much tied up in our kids, right? And it's very difficult when we don't have that relationship. Write down these two things. First of all, I think it's helpful to realize that when you're struggling with your child, you're seeing a little bit of the relationship that God has with you. Now, this is a very revealing truth to me. God has the power to overpower you and I, doesn't he? He could, he could just say, you're going to do it, right? He could just say, we're going to have a relationship. You're going to do it, do it. It's, it's amazing to me that God does not do that when he has the ability to do it. So he's in a situation that is not optimal, And he has the ability to do what I wish I could do, which is change it immediately, right? And he doesn't force himself on us in that way. Now, I think when children are younger, I think some parents are too hands-off, okay? If you've got younger children, it's a little bit more direct. It's a little bit more. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But as the the children get older, there's kind of a a baton handoff, isn't there? And that's where the whole teenage thing is complicated. You used to be a kid, and now you're kind of a young adult. What's our roles, right? It's a little bit difficult. But, you know, I think it's helpful to realize that the Lord takes that risk with us. That he says to us, you know what? I want to hand you the baton, but you may not choose to take it. Wow. I don't like that, do you? I sure hope. Your kids, my kids are going to take it, but, but we've got to deal with them kind of like God deals with us. And secondly, you need to see yourself as a trainer, not a boss. Okay? Write down uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6, and Ephesians 6, verse 4. Both of those passages, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, uh, Train up a child, train him. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4 that, that we should bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition. We should train them in the Lord. My role is to equip, is to be an, an equipper in their lives, to teach them. But that person, that child, has to make their own decision about who they're going to be. I am not the owner of their life. Ultimately, I've been given a while as a steward of God's precious gift to pour as much as I can. And the hard part is I'm growing in the middle of it. Amen? Like putting putting an airplane together in the sky. Anybody feeling my pain? Okay. I think about the time they get grown up, I'm going to be able to write a book about how to raise kids. And it's too late. I messed up. Sorry, guys. Amen? Amen? God help us, okay? The next one is our parents. Many of you have a difficult situation with your parents. Let me give you two things. First of all, show honor. The Bible makes it very clear that whether we're children, whether we're adults, we should never 
cease to show respect to our parents. But as adults, it doesn't mean we have to listen to their direction. There comes a point, now the question is, when is that? You know, sometimes our society says 17, you're grown up, or 18, you're grown up, or 21, whatever it is. Some people 38, or whatever, you know. But whatever it is, probably, certainly, I think the principle is when they establish their own home. And usually, you know, a lot of times we think of that as when they get married, whenever that is. But when they establish their own home, then there's a break that begins to happen. And I think we just need to be very patient with our parents because sometimes that's difficult for them to make that break. And that goes to the second thing. We need to establish boundaries. If you have a difficult relationship with your parents, you need to continue to honor them, but you do need to establish some boundaries. Write down Genesis 2, verse 24. The Bible says that in the beginning, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh and and really establish a home together. Now, the... the, um, King James Version calls that, he shall leave his father and mother, and he shall what? Cleave to his wife. Now, in modern English, cleave doesn't really sound like a very positive thing. I mean, that sounds like a big hook you're going to hurt somebody with, right? Okay, but, but it is a good thing. Leave means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of their house, and cleave means I'm going to be, really, it means to be glued together. We're going to be joined together. But I like the rhyming of it. You need to leave and cleave. Many people have never learned this healthy aspect of life, okay? When you get married, when you establish your own home, you need to leave your parents. You're no longer related to them in in the same way, and you need to be joined to your spouse. And and that, that word cement there means that you are, it says they became one flesh, that you are so close, it's like super glue, you are so closely tied together that no one can get in that. There's no crack. Unless your parents, your kids, or anybody, really. The two shall become one. You're so glued together that no one could come between us. All right, finally, what about a boss or a coworker? Well, I'll tell you what I share with people. It's really something that helps uh, for all of these. It's prayer. And here's what I pray. Change them or move them. I mean, if I got to be here, Lord, change them or move them. I cannot tell you how many times God has changed them or moved them. I've had family members who called and said, you know what? Man, I don't know about this person and such and such his life. And, you know, I just, you know, let's pray about it. God, change that person to the healthy person this loved one needs to be united with. Or God, move And I can't tell you how many times the next day or two weeks or six months. They say, you know what? They're not together anymore. Praise the Lord. I can't tell you how many times some of my family's called me up and said, you know, my boss is driving me nuts. I say, let's start praying. Change them or move them. They'll call back the next week and say, my boss has gotten so nice. How are you doing? What are your needs? It works. Just a thought. How's your way been going? All right, the the last one is this. I struggle when I don't have one, when I can't change one, but when I'm in the wrong one. Now, before we really get into that, I want to say a couple things. Some of you who are married are thinking, yeah, boy, I'm in the wrong one. I want to share with you, we are a lot more prone to divorce than we should be. 
it seems that God does allow divorce in some certain situations. But we need to be very careful that we're not the initiator of it, that we're entering into it reluctantly. And before God, I could say, God, I did everything I could, but this person just rejected me. And really, ultimately, that's between you and the Lord. But did I do everything in my power, God? Did I do everything I could to... to, to, And what we're trying to model is this. Marriage is the most intimate, close relationship. It's the most permanent. It's not eternal, okay? That's the difference. It's not exactly like our relationship with God because our relationship with God is eternal. But it's permanent in the sense of it's for a lifetime. So what we're trying to say is, the Bible seems to say, listen, sometimes that happens, but you ought to do everything in your power for it not to be because of you. So if you have a spouse, (laughs) I was going to say, that is willing to work with you, you may not enjoy it for a while, but you're not in the wrong relationship. Okay? Did you hear that? Write down 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 13. If you have a spouse that you just aren't working it out with, but they're willing to work with you, you're not in point three. You're in point two. Okay? God, I've got one that I can't change, so I need you. Now, there are probably some of us, changing the gears a little bit, that this applies to, but we won't admit it. What do I mean by that? There's some people in this room who are in a relationship, it's the wrong relationship, and the reason you're in it is because it's all you know. Or the reason you're in it is because some relationship is better than no relationship. Or the reason you're in it is because you think to yourself, eventually he or she will change. Did you know there are people, even in abusive situations, probably some in this room right now, you are in an abusive relationship, and the reason you are is because you say, you know what, abusive with somebody is better than nothing with nobody. So with that said, let's make these points. Three things here. If you're not in the wrong relationship, don't start one. Okay, write down 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, very important. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked, is what it says. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Please, please, please listen. Many Christians do not live by this, or they try to rationalize themselves out of it. They say, well, Pastor Robbie, I know you say, or Pastor Robbie, I know New Hope believes, don't do that to me, because this is not me. This is not new hope. This is your Savior giving you the truth for the best for your life. Many people think, I know it's important to be together with a Christian, but you know what? I got my list of things that I need, and I I can't check that one off, but you can't have everything. I would even say, I wouldn't make it a check off of, they said they're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes, check it off. I'd make it a lot more than that. I'd make it, you say you're a Christian, let me see some fruit in your life. Let me see that we're both desiring to walk with Jesus. Or many people say, well, I know they're not a Christian, but I'll change him. 
please, 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 please listen to the Lord. Why do you think you're any different than the thousand other people who've told me that and regretted it? This is the word of the Lord. He's trying to do you a favor. You ought to go into marriage with someone being okay with what you see right now. Because if you think about it, when you're dating, you're probably getting pretty good foot forward. If anything, it's going to get worse, not better. Now, hopefully, we can anticipate that if someone has a good quality of a growing person, they're, yes, they're going to continue, so they don't have to be perfect. But you should be okay with pretty much what you got right now. By the way, there was a great broadcast on Focus on the Family on Friday, specifically talking about some of these kind of things. Secondly, if you're in a wrong relationship, get out of it. If you can get out of it, it's as simple as that. Get out of it. Find an exit strategy. And then lastly, if you can't get out of it, then trust the Lord. And what I mean by you can't get out of it? Well, 1 Corinthians 7 says, I gave you those verses, if that unbelieving spouse will work with you, then you should work with them. Okay, there were Christians in the early church that people got saved. They received Christ as their Savior, and their spouse wasn't ready to make that decision yet. They're like, what am I supposed to do? Is it okay to be married to an unbeliever? Well, I shouldn't begin that relationship knowingly stepping into that. But when a person found themselves there, the Bible says you should do everything you can to be God's servant in their life and to work together on that marriage. Now, if that person rejected you or that person deserts you, if they're unfaithful, the Bible says, if they desert you at some point, you may have to just let them go. But again, we don't want to be quick about that. Well, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, and we've just scratched the surface, haven't we? I mean, we could basically take each one of those points and spend a whole message. But here's the point. Relationships are one of the biggest struggles of our lives, aren't they? You see, what we're trying to do in this series is say, we talk about different aspects of our lives every week as we meet together. But let's just get down to some that are really, really, and there's somebody in this room that says, you know what, Pastor Robbie? You know what, Lord? More importantly, if it weren't for this, my relationship with God would be so strong. God wants to work there too. He cares about that too. So tonight, would you trust him with whatever it is, wherever you find yourself in that relationship? If you're not a Christian here tonight, you ought to think to yourself, good grief, I cannot do God's will on my own. Amen. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need God to come into my life. I got a long ways to go, and I, I'm making up time. Lost time. Let's start now, tonight. Not one more moment without Jesus. You can do that tonight. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right now, tonight. Jesus, I need you. I receive you. I trust in you. I ask you to forgive me. Would you bow with me as we think about that for just a moment? And as we prepare to close tonight.
If you're a guest here tonight, I just want to share with you at the end of our service, we have a time where we think about what God said to us. We've shared a lot, but maybe there's something there that God has spoken to your heart about. About a tough decision. About a choice that you need to make tonight. Would you say, God, with your help, I will follow you. Help me, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray in these next few moments that we'll allow you to touch some of the deepest points in our lives. Lord, for many of us, that's what's holding us back to help us to trust you right now in Jesus' name. Amen.